an eighteen eighty sojourn in saltillo mexico an excerpt from face to face with the mexicans by fanny chambers gooch eighteen eighty seven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Saltillo was once also the capital of Texas when that great state formed an unwilling member of the Mexican Federation. It has a population of about 20,000 and is situated on the Buena Vista tableland in the Sierra Madre Mountains at an elevation of about 5,500 feet above sea level. It was founded on the 25th of July, 1575, by one Francisco Udignola, who brought with him 60 Tlaxcalan families who were bitter foes of the Aztecs and firm allies of the conquerors. The city is the seat of important manufactures, both woolen and cotton. Here are made rebosos, a long, narrow shawl worn by women over their heads, and also those gorgeous and durable serapes, blankets, of finest wool and most brilliant colors, which have gained so wide a celebrity that the term Mexican blanket is a synonym for a genuine and almost everlasting fabric. It has the usual places for recreation, a bull ring, plaza, an alameda, a cathedral worthy of inspection, also numerous churches with a full quota of schools and colleges. We were a party of Americans on business, health, and pleasure bent. Our company consisted of Mr. and Mrs. R., the former a retired banker from a large western city, Mr. and Mrs. A., Mrs. S. and daughter, my husband and self. As the hotel accommodations were meager and uncomfortable, and it not being the custom of the country for families to live in hotels, we concluded to go to housekeeping, as our stay was indefinite and might extend through a few weeks or months. The house selected for our Bohemian abode, we were assured, was almost one hundred years old, and had an air of solemn dignity and grandeur about its wanting splendor. It was of startling dimensions, capable of quartering a regiment of soldiers with all their equipments. It was one story in height, with a handsome orchard and garden in the rear, extensive corrals for horses, the whole extending from street to street through a large square of ground. The distinguishing features of Mexican and Spanish architecture were evident throughout the patio courtyard, with fountain in the center, flat roof, barred windows and parapet walls. These latter rise often to the height of six feet above the main structure, and in times of war and revolution have proved admirable defenses to the besieged. Entrenching themselves behind these walls, passageways are made from one house to the other until the entire block of buildings is one connected fortification. The strife may continue for weeks uninterruptedly, the fusillade not ceasing long enough to remove the dead from the streets. 
the size and unwieldiness of the front doors were amazing noble defenses in time of revolution it is true but when with my whole strength i could not move one on its antiquated squeaking hinges almost a half yard in length the question of how to pass from house to street became a serious one the happy discovery was made at last that instead of two there were four doors all in one the two smaller ones within the greater serving for our usual ingress and egress the huge double doors spacious enough to admit a locomotive with its train of cars were never opened except on state occasions or for the admittance of a carriage buggy or something out of the ordinary such as a dozen or so wood-laden donkeys not only funerals and bridal parties but every imaginable household necessity for pleasure or convenience must pass through the front doors in the zaguan front hall high up in the cedar beams darkened by age to the color of mahogany was this inscription or dedication in large clear letters ave maria santissima in other houses these dedications varied according to taste one read siempre viva en esta casa nuestra senora de guadalupe may the virgin guadalupe always watch over this house still another inscription in the house of a friend read aqui viva con vosé jose y maria may joseph and mary dwell with you here we were astounded at the size and length of the keys and the number of them they were about ten inches long and a blow from one would have sufficed to fell a man as there were perhaps thirty of them my key basket so far from being the dainty trifle an american woman dangles from one finger in her daily rounds would have been a load for a burro as they call their little donkeys the enormous double doors connecting the rooms were as massive as if each room were intended for a separate fortification the opening and closing of these heavy doors as they scraped across the floors gave forth a dull grating sound which added to the loneliness of our castle our venerable mansion was constructed of adobe the sun-dried brick peculiar to the country and of which almost the entire city is built the walls were from two to four feet in thickness and the ceilings thirty feet in height surrounding the beautiful courtyard were many large and handsome rooms frescoed in brilliant style each different from the other besides these there were many smaller apartments lofts nooks and crannies more than i at first thought i should ever have the courage to explore the drawing-room was the first thing to attract my attention as it was about a hundred feet long and fifty wide its dado was highly embellished by a skilful blending of roses and buds in delicate shades while the frieze was the chaste production of a native artist the ceiling as before mentioned was thirty feet in height and another source of surprise to me was the discovery that the foundation of all this elaborate workmanship was of the frailest material 
these wonderful artisans in making ceilings that are apparently faultless use only cheesecloth after stretching it as tightly as possible and adding a coat of heavy sizing the beautiful and gorgeous frescoes are laid on and the eye of an expert cannot detect the difference between a cloth ceiling and the more substantial plaster with which we are familiar in the united states the floor of this room presented another subject of inquiry as to its materials and the method employed in making it so hard smooth and red mortar much the same as is used in plastering but of a consistency which hardens rapidly is the basis of operations on this a coating of fine gravel very little coarser than sand is applied then comes the final red polish which completes a floor of unusual coolness and comfort and admirably adapted to the country the material used to give the red finish is tipichil an indian word in some places known as almagra an abundant earthy deposit to be found principally in the arroyos for ages this substance has been an important article for ornamentation even the wild tribes of indians using it to paint their faces and bodies when the floor is hardened a force of men is employed who by rubbing it with stones produce a beautiful glazed polish if time were of any value these floors would cost fabulous sums as it takes weeks to complete one of them it required months almost for me to comprehend the manner of cleaning them the floors of the other rooms were of imported brick and tiles the former not less than a foot square and perhaps half as thick while the latter were octagonal and of fine finish though like the mansion itself they bore the evidences of age and decay we enjoyed the unusual luxury of glass windows and it was enough to puff us up with inordinate pride to look out and see our neighbors houses provided with only plain heavy wooden shutters when it rained or was cold however our ill-fitting windows proved an inadequate protection and it became necessary to close the ponderous wooden shutters thus leaving the rooms in total darkness our windows were also furnished on the outside with iron rods similar to those used for jails in the united states and quite as effective while those of many of our neighbors had only heavy wooden bars so close together as scarcely to permit the hand to pass between them these i was told by a mexican lady were called jealous husbands windows in the middle of many of the shutters of some of these houses were tiny doors whose presence when closed would never be suspected they were just large enough for a face to peer through and when passing along the street on cold or windy days hundreds of soft languishing dreamy eyes might be seen gazing out of these little windows in mexican architecture the window is second in importance only to the roof itself for the next thing to be protected from the rain is the necessity for the family to be able to see into the street the walls are of such thickness 
that one window will easily accommodate two of their quaint little home manufactured chairs and as there is no front stoop each afternoon finds the senoritas seated in these chairs taking in the full enjoyment of the usual street scenes the roof being flat was constructed in a unique manner having first heavy wooden beams laid across the top of each room and then planks coated with pitch placed on these after which twelve inches of mother earth were added then a coating of gravel and lastly one of cement the whole making a roof impervious to rain or heat and proving the admirable adaptability of mexican architecture to the climate and the people the houses in general are provided with roofs of adobe and some of the plainer ones in which i became a visitor when the rainy season was at its height gave me an amusing insight into the freaks and tricks of the doby as they are familiarly termed when there were no frescoes on the cheesecloth canvas it would be taken down periodically washed and then replaced as smoothly as a plaster ceiling but woe betide the doby roof when the rainy season makes its advent the treacherous mud covering succumbs to the pressure of the driving water and often the entire room or house is submerged in the twinkling of an eye besides the main leaks numerous little bubble-like projections like pockets each filled with water sagged down the canvas in various places to my great amusement i found that my ingenious native friends had always on hand the essentials for stopping the leak such as an old broom handle or strip of wood which by the aid of a bent pin and a string manipulated by dexterous fingers soon repaired all damages first all the little sacks of water are conducted by means of the broom handle into the larger one where the bent pin has been previously attached to the canvas and also to one end of the string to the other end the strip of wood is fastened and under this a bucket placed twenty minutes from the time of the first onslaught of the torrent through the roof all is serene and calm as a may morning orders were given at once to the mosul to sow the roof with grass seed so as to prevent another catastrophe no greater protection is found for an ordinary earthen roof than that afforded by a solid greensward the roots form a compact network so that it must be an unusually heavy storm that can penetrate it the method of conducting the water from the roof is in keeping with everything else great heavy gargoyles or stone spouts weather-beaten and moss-covered tipped with tin full ten feet in length six in a line on either side of the court answered the purpose in our mansion during a heavy rainstorm it was interesting to watch the steady streams of water foaming and surging into the court i saw a dog knocked senseless to the ground by one of these streams and it was several minutes before he recovered his breathing and yelping faculties the ends of these spouts in many instances artistically ornamented protrude over the street 
in more modern houses conduits a few inches wide are cut into the sides of the wall and cemented taking the place of the stone spouts they are quite as effective but the quaintness and antique appearance of the houses is greatly diminished by them in the carriage house there still remained a silent old relic of mexican grandeur and aristocratic distinction which wheels like an american road wagon and hubs like a water bucket in the garden were fruit trees and the family pila bath the latter was built of adobe three feet high and twelve feet square without cover the water being supplied by means of earthen pipes from the mountain springs a fountain and exquisite flowers adorned the patio a climbing rose of unusual luxuriance at once attracting special notice it was evergreen and of extraordinary size extending in graceful festoons fully one hundred feet on either side we were told that at the time of the occupation of saltillo by taylor's army this same vine was an attractive feature of the court imagine the dismay and apprehension of several american women at thus finding themselves surrounded by so many evidences of ancient refinement and culture and yet by none of the modern necessaries of housekeeping in this old city of twenty thousand inhabitants there was not a store where such indispensables as bedsteads or furniture of any kind pillows or mattresses could be purchased while coffee or spice mills cook stoves or wash tubs were absolutely out of the question how we managed may prove interesting to those who contemplate taking up their residence in mexico and will be related in the succeeding chapters it was not by any means a question of money or price that prevented one from being comfortable at the outset the dearth of household furniture and conveniences already mentioned put ingenuity and will force to their utmost tension and i felt as if transported to antediluvian days i have a candid conviction that mother noah never had cooking utensils more crude or a larder more scant than were mine it may be however that the old man was good to help around the house this was before the time of railways in mexico the nacional mexicano having only penetrated a few leagues west of the rio grande with the primitive modes of transportation which served in lieu of the railway it was not advisable to attempt bringing household goods so far over a trackless country the inconveniences that followed were not peculiar to ourselves but common to all strangers who like us could neither anticipate nor realize the scarcity of every household appurtenance the natives who enjoyed the luxury of furniture and there was a large number who had everything in elegance had also the romantic recollection that great two-wheeled carts towering almost above the housetops had brought it from the capital nearly a thousand miles or it was manufactured by the carpenters of the town in the division of the apartments of the house one half was allotted to us 
while our friends distributed themselves among the remaining rooms on the opposite side of the courtyard the drawing-room being used in common mr and mrs r employed a cook and had their own cuisine the others flitted about from fonda to fonda restaurant in search of sustenance in the evening of each day we would meet and compare notes on the varied and amusing experiences of the day however i am not relating the adventures of our friends but will generously leave that happy task to them progress in furnishing our quarters in this great massive structure was slow indeed how i longed for the delightful furnishings of my own home which remained just as i had left it fortunately for us a druggist had two spare pine single bedsteads which he kindly sold to us for the sum of forty dollars at an american factory they would have been worth about four dollars each one was painted a bright red the other an uncompromising orange they were cot-like and had flat wire springs while mexican blankets constituted the entire bedding mattresses and all pillows were improvised from bundles of wearing apparel fancy how they looked the only furniture in a gorgeously frescoed room twenty-five by thirty-five feet and of proportionate height mr and mrs r were much less fortunate than ourselves in procuring their household comforts or rather discomforts they ordered two cots which were covered with a gaily striped stuff the brilliant dyes having impaired the strength of the material at the first attempt to lie upon these treacherous beds both individuals found themselves suddenly precipitated upon the stone floor no one in the house had anything in the way of bedding to lend them and in the darkness they betook themselves to the hotel to occupy beds of iron proof against collapse a friend lent us six haircloth chairs and a table which had many years before been the operating table of his brother a surgeon it was long green and sagged in the middle a carpenter was employed to make the remaining necessary articles of furniture he labored on the customary manana system and while his calculations as to time ranged all the way from eight to fifteen days i found he actually meant from six weeks to three months he showed samples of his workmanship rocking chairs with and without arms made of pine stained or painted or varnished and upright chairs with cane seats i ventured to ask when he could complete for us a dozen chairs four rockers and some tables utterly amazed he looked at me with a smile of incredulity as if to say what can you do with so much furniture he disapproved of my wish to have oblong and round tables so i yielded acquiescence to the customary triangular ones which grace the corners of every parlor of respectability it now becomes necessary to introduce what proved to me the most peculiar and interesting feature of home life in mexico this is not an article of furniture a fresco a pounded earthen floor or a burrow or barred casement but the indispensable 
all-pervading and incomparable manservant known as the mozo according to the prevailing idea he is far more important than any of the things enumerated in my household menage for from first to last he played a conspicuous role forewarned forearmed the respectability of the household depending on his presence one was engaged the strongest character in his line the never-to-be-forgotten pancho it was perhaps not just a sentence to pronounce upon this individual but circumstances seemed to warrant the comparison i involuntarily made between our watchful pancho and a sleepless bloodhound at night he curled himself up on a simple petate with no pillow and only a blanket and was as ready to respond to our beck and call as in the day in this house were two kitchens representative of that part of the country in the center of one was a miniature circus ring about three feet in circumference consisting simply of a raised circle of clay about one foot high this constituted the range little fires were built within this ring one under each of the pottery vessels used in the operations after this uncomfortable fashion the cooking was done the smoke circling about at its own sweet will and at length finding vent through a small door at one side the only opening in the room the sole piece of furniture was a worm-eaten table supported on two legs the inner side braced against the wall its decayed condition indicated that it was at least a hundred years old mrs r amused herself by experimenting on the circus ring minus the aid of horses however a docile native woman executing what ground and lofty tumbling might be required in the culinary preparations the second kitchen contained another style of range equally primitive in its design along the wall was built a solid breastwork of adobe about two feet high two feet deep and extending the entire length of the room an opening was left in the roof above this structure for the escape of smoke but the grimy walls proved that it failed to answer its purpose upon this ledge projection or whatever it may be termed the cook places her various pottery vessels with fires made of charcoal or small bits of wood under each and there the stewing boiling frying and crying go on all day this cook unlike the one in kitchen number one stands up in the performance of her duties when i inspected these kitchens it may be imagined that the sight was rather depressing coupled with the certainty that i could effect no improvement but we had the luxury of one tiny fireplace to which in my despair i fled for refuge in this little treasure our scheme of housekeeping was inaugurated with results both brave and gay among the latter experiences i may class my first coffee roasting not realizing till then that the essential feature of a mill was lacking and that i was at least five hundred miles from any possible purchase of one pancho however was equal to the emergency and going off soon returned with a metate 
it was a decidedly primitive affair and like the mills of the gods it ground slowly but like them it also ground to powder the metate is cut from a porous volcanic rock and is about eighteen inches long by a foot in width and eight inches in thickness the upper surface which is generally a little concave is roughened with indentures upon this the article is placed and beaten with another stone called a mano resembling a rolling pin almost every article of food is passed between these stones meat vegetables corn coffee spices chocolate even the salt after being washed and sun-dried is crushed upon it such a luxury as table salt was not to be had previous to use these stones are hardened by being placed in the fire the rough points become as firm as steel and one metate will last through a generation this necessity of everyday life was a revelation to me the color of an elephant it was quite as unwieldy and graceless but its importance in the homely details of the menage was undeniable it had but two competitors to divide the honors with the maguey plant and the donkey they were all three necessary to each other and to the commonwealth at large equipped with an inconceivable amount of pottery of every shape and kind maguey brushes fans of plated palm the national bellows wood forks spoons and many other nameless primitive articles my collection of household gods was complete the first meal cooked in that dainty little fireplace was more delicious than any that could be furnished at delmonico's in his quaint efforts to assist pancho perambulated about with an air as all-important as though he were the chef of that famous cafe but the climax of all was reached in pancho's estimation when i put a pure white linen cloth on my green historic table and arranged for the meal he said over and over muy bonita cena very pretty supper but i discovered it was the attractions of my silver knives and forks and other natty tableware from home that constituted the novelty in his experience fingers were made before knives and forks i found my major domo knew everything and everybody the name of every street the price of every article to be bought or sold my curiosity i presume only stimulated his imagination and the more pleased i appeared at his recitals the more marvelous were his tales he gave the lineage of every family of the gente decente for generations his unique style adding pith and point to his narrations he told me the story of hidalgo and morelos and iturbide the coming of the americans the french intervention and all the late revolutions until my head rang with the boom of cannon and the beat of drum but invariably these poetic narratives were rudely interrupted by some over practical intrusion in the same breath in which he completed the recital of the emperor iturbide he suggested that wood was better and cheaper than charcoal for cooking with my approbation he went to the plaza returning in a little while 
with a man who brought ten donkeys all laden with wood packed on like saddle-bags i asked the woodbender to drive his vicious-looking dog out when he complied by saying he's he's saul of course i then thought the dog's name was saul but found the word meant get out as the dog howled on being railed at the man of importance again yelled at him cayete cayete el hocico cuele shut up shut your mouth and get out constant surprises were developed before my eyes every hour in the day the yolks of the first eggs i bought were white indeed this was often the case which for a moment dazed me as i had never expected to find my old friend the hen so different in her habits from her sisters in the states but the qualities of the egg were identical with those familiar to me however yielding to prejudice i rejoiced that eggs were not numbered among my favorite edibles the difficulties of all strangers not familiar with the language and idioms of the country were a part of my daily experience pancho was by that time master of the situation and although evidently often amused his thoughtfulness in relieving me of all embarrassment never failed though grave he had a sense of humor this was made evident on one occasion when i had been using a hot flat iron having finished i told pancho to put it in the cocinera meaning the kitchen i heard a low chattering and smothered laughter between him and the cook pancho then returned to my room and half quizzically half serio-comically said please come to the kitchen i went when he placed himself in front of the cook with his left hand on her shoulder waved his right arm around the room and said senora look this is the cocinera cook and this again waving the right hand around the room is the cocina do you want me to put the plancha caliente hot iron in the cook or in the kitchen then with the forefinger of his right hand moving hastily before his nose and a waggish smile on his face the pantomime closed with no somos a sea we don't use them this way another ridiculous mistake i made when i wanted pancho to buy me some cake and told him to get four gateau forgetting that bizcocho and not gateau was the spanish for cake folding his arms he quietly answered without a smile if he might presume to ask the senora what she wanted with cuatro gatos four cats as the house was already overrun with these animals that had flocked in from all quarters pancho naturally wondered why i wanted to add to my feline tenants itinerant vendors of every imaginable commodity were constantly passing and nothing pleased me better than to hold conversations with them which they too evidently enjoyed soon after the episode of the flatiron i heard the long-drawn intonation of a vendor and paid little heed to him supposing he was running off a list of his stock in trade such as pins needles tape thread and other things too numerous to mention wanting none of these i replied tenemos bastante adentro we have plenty in the house a roar of laughter nearby 
and a familiar voice interpreted the man's question humorously enough. He was only asking if I wanted a chichi wet nurse. The common people of all ages were always bringing me regalitos, tokens of goodwill, and these were of every conceivable variety. A little girl whom I had often fed through the window came into the house with her rebozo drawn closely about her, saying she had a regalito for me. I supposed it to be fruit or flowers, and so motioned to her to put it on the table in the dining room. In a moment she was at my side saying, No quedarse allí, it will not stay there, and going out I found a young chicken running around. To pay fifty cents for every donkey load of wood as I had done seemed preposterous, and as Pancho knew everything, I asked him to suggest some more economical system of purchase. He recommended watching for the caretas at five o'clock in the morning. Promptly at the hour indicated, I was before the barred window, when I heard the awful screech, thump, bump, and rumble of the lumbering caretas. About a dozen in a line, they advanced slowly, their great old wooden wheels wobbling from side to side, drawn by oxen with rawhide trappings, their sturdy drivers sandal-footed and clothed in cotton cloth with an iron-tipped goad in hand, punching and pushing the beasts at every step. Here was the wood, the entire tree, roots and all, ghosts of the forest hauled twenty-five miles, rolling down the street on an antiquated vehicle. In response to Pancho's handclap, the manager of the caravan demanded $15 a load, the dollars being the only part of the transaction that belonged to our age. But the wood was duly bought. Pancho had so far held the reins as to all household purchases, but in accordance with my ideas of independence and careful management, I announced that I was going to market. He kindly told me that it was not customary for ladies to go to market. The mozo did that, throwing in so many arguments, also of a traditional nature, that I was somewhat awed by them, though not deterred. Having been accustomed to superintend personally all domestic duties, to be bolted and barred up in a house without recreation and outdoor exercise induced an insupportable sense of oppression. Walking leisurely along the street, absorbed in thought, with Pancho near at hand, carrying a basket, I was attracted by the sound of voices and the tramp of feet. Glancing backward, I saw a motley procession of idlers of the lower classes following, which increased at every corner, reminding me of the good old circus days, though without the blare of brass trumpets, the small boys bringing up the rear the very unusual occurrence of a lady going to market had excited their curiosity the market was a large pavilion-like building occupying the center of a spacious plaza little tables and bits of straw matting were distributed on all sides and upon these the tradespeople chiefly women displayed their wares fruits vegetables nuts and other commodities on seeing me every vendor began shouting the prices and names of articles entreating the senora estranjera to buy but the strange medley 
together with their earnestness, took my breath away, and I could only stand and watch the crowd. In the fantastic scene before me, it would be impossible to tell which of the many unaccustomed features took precedence of the others in point of novelty. Notwithstanding the crowd, there was no disorder, no loud laughter or unseemly conduct. The courteous meetings between acquaintances, the quiet handshakings, the tender inquiry as to the health of each other, the many forms of polite greeting, were strangely at variance with their dilapidated and tattered condition, their soiled garments, half-faded blankets, and time-stained sombreros. Whole families seemed to have their abiding places in the market. Babies, babies everywhere, under the tables, on mats, hanging on their mother's backs, cuddled up in heaps among the beets, turnips, and lettuces, peeping over pumpkins larger than they, rollicking, crying, crowing, and laughing, their dancing black eyes the only clean, clear spots about them, with and without clothes, until my head and the air were vocalizing the old-time ditty of one little, two little, three little engines, but instead of stopping at ten, they bade fair to run up into the thousands. Parrots were there by the dozen. On seeing me, some began screaming and calling in idiomatic Spanish, Look at the senora estranjera. Look, look, senorita, tell me your name. The rest joined in chorus, and soon an interested crowd surrounded me. They kept close at my heels, inspecting every article I bought, even commenting on my dress, the women lightly stroking it and asking me a thousand questions as to where I came from, how I liked their country, and if I was not afraid of the Mexicans, and invariably closing by saying, She is far from her home. It is sad for her here. Here and there the amusing spectacle presented itself of men intently engaged in the occupation among us assigned to women, that of knitting and crocheting babyhoods and stockings of bright wool, and of the funniest shapes I ever beheld. Vegetables, fruits, and nuts of all kinds were counted out carefully in little heaps, and could only be bought in that way by retail, wholesale rates being universally rejected. I could buy as many of these piles as I wanted, but each one was counted separately and paid for in the same way. I offered to buy out the entire outfit of a woman who had a bushel basket in reserve, even agreeing to pay her for the basket, but she only shook her head and wagged the forefinger, saying, No, senora, no puedo. No, madam, I cannot. A woman held in her hand a corn husk, which she waved continuously up and down, on examination, I found it was butter, rolled up snugly, which she assured me was fresca sin sal, fresh without salt. A new revelation, but in the course of time I learned to appreciate this primitive method, and that in this climate salt was a hindrance to its preservation for any length of time. At last I became convinced of the perfect and complete fitness of things, and of their self-vindication. From Pancho's manner, I am sure he felt as if his vocation were gone by the way I had overleaped the bounds of custom in finding out things for myself. Nevertheless, he managed now and then to give some of the vendors an account of our house, its location, and my singular management. 
but though looking mystified he never left me for a moment no matter how long i talked or asked explanations we went into the stores pancho keeping between me and the crowd the shopkeepers were as much surprised and as curious as the people in the streets to see me marketing but when the crowd of idlers closed up around me they were polite and solicitous to know if the procession annoyed me the arrangement of the merchandise and the method of trafficking elicited an involuntary smile from me at every turn so if the merchants clerks and the procession found fun at my expense i was no less amused at theirs dozens of mozos bought from them in my presence a tablespoon of lard which the agile clerk placed on a bit of brown paper for transportation three or four lumps of sugar a tlacos worth of salt the same of pepper were all taken from immense piles of these articles near at hand wrapped and ready for the purchaser dainty china teacups hung closely together by their handles on the edge of every shelf and up and down the walls in unbroken lines but not a saucer was in sight nor could a dish be had at any price anticipating that i would take a placo medio and reals worth like the mozos the clerk took in his nimble fingers a few of the little packages but my extraordinary announcement despoiled him of his ordinary sales every eye was upon me when i had the temerity to ask for twenty pounds of sugar ten pounds of coffee and a gallon of vinegar sugar and coffee were abundant but the vinegar was in bottles he handed me one with a flourish saying vinagre de francia we have no other i began to feel that far away france had become my ally having like me made an invasion on the costumbres the only difference being that the vinegar bottles were jolted on the backs of meek burrows or in carts a thousand miles and i had arrived safe and sound by diligence i asked have you ham no i there is none pickles no i powdered sugar no i crackers tampoco neither salt see i yes there is some coffee see i frijoles beans tambien candles see i potatoes ya no i se acabaron they are finished all gone going to market a matter-of-fact affair in the united states resolved itself into a novel adventure the heterogeneous assemblage of goods and the natural and artificial products of the country astonished me equally with the strange vendors there was so much that was at once humorous pitiable and grotesque all of which was heightened when i reached home and observed quite a number of the procession in the rear once over the threshold pancho slammed the door in their faces saying son pobres todos y sin vergüenzas they are all poor and without shame every day the strange enigma unfolded itself before me with a crude interest my lot had been cast among these people when in total ignorance of their habits and customs my aim and purpose above all things was to establish a home among them on the basis of the one left behind 
the sequel will show how well i succeeded end of an eighteen eighty sojourn in saltillo mexico from face to face with the mexicans by fanny chambers gooch eighteen eighty seven read for librivox by sue anderson